Here we are, episode number 138. We're going to talk Bassmaster Open EQs, Drop Shot, Board Facing Sonar, whole bunch more with good buddy Kent Middlestead. Minnesota angler chasing the dream, the Bassmaster Opens, trying to qualify the Bassmaster Elite Series. And talk about his journey there. And uh, overall, pretty fun episode. Kent's a good dude. And I hope you guys enjoy it. This week, the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. Here we are, Hello Bass Live. We're back at it on a Thursday night. After a week off of sun and relaxation with the wife, we're back at it. And uh, what's going on, Kent? Not a whole lot. I am uh, I'm doing the sun thing, not so much relaxation, but I'm down in Florida right now and uh, just trying to get out fishing a little bit, trying to stay sharp. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in Jamaica last week. I did. Nice. Uh, I did catch uh, one little snook about that long, uh, on a, a, a tactical minnow on a jig head. I love it. Yep, I saw your post. I was like, "Wow, that's uh, that's my favorite color too." So that thing works everywhere. Yeah, I mean, boot tail swim bait. I mean, a jig head. It will pretty much catch just about anything. They'll eat a minnow anywhere in the world. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we have a fun show back this week. Kent Middlestat, Kenny, what, uh, I think you have several identities. Where, where are you landing on social media these days? What do you, what do you go by, Kent? Uh, I think it's just Kenny Mitt Fishing. All right, Kenny yeah. Mitt Fishing. Got it. Shorten the last name because it's impossible to spell, so it's just M-I-T-T. It is a little tricky. I found myself fumbling with it, but I think I got it right in the description. So, Kent, you uh, used to be Minnesota. Somehow on the Bassmaster, it still you're a South Dakota resident now. Yeah, I, uh, I just kind of, I sort of just travel around with the tournaments and just live on the road. I sold my house in 2020, 2019, I think, and been doing the full-time traveling thing. We live in our RV. That's where I'm at right now is in our home office in the RV. And uh, just kind of live on the road and need a place to call home. And South Dakota has some favorable laws for travelers. So uh, we decided to domicile there. We've got um, a lot that we rent in South Dakota, but don't spend a whole ton of time there. Just kind of live in Minnesota some in the summer and Florida in the winter and wherever else the tournaments go. Yeah, very cool. So you've been... Yeah, so Kent's from Minnesota. Pretty much grew up here, didn't you? Yeah. Kind of started doing the Bass Nation Club thing. Got into it over his head. Fell over. I'm <laughs> not over his head, but like crazy, like head over heels into bass fishing. I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, and uh, just ate up with it, like most of us. <clears throat> and uh, took the leap. Left his full time job. Kind of rearranged his finances. Downsized a little bit, and he's been kind of fishing the. I mean, the Bassmaster opens what full time for what like. 
five, six years now, or how long has it been? Yeah, this will be my fifth year as a boater. I did it as a co-angler for one year before that. So this, this is, this will be my second time fishing all of the events in the opens. Okay. I've done several single divisions over the years, but this will be my second time doing a full schedule. Nice. I'm assuming that, uh, Johnny Ray's not talking about me, but maybe he is. <laughs> could could be. Um, so, and I, I've had, I guess Kent and I have never fished together in the same boat that I'm aware of, unless unless I drew you as a co-angler in a state tournament, like, way long before I remember. Um, but uh, no, fished man, against not... each other plenty of times in various tournaments and been on a few divisional teams together and so gotten to know each other. Uh, and Kent was actually like probably one of the first five or 10 guests I ever had on the Hellabass live stream. Like you might notice the quality looks better. The sound probably sounds better. <laughs> I, I feel honored. It was, uh, you, you've been killing it and uh, appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Yeah. So I thought it was a good time. We actually tried to catch up a few other times, but Kent was always gone fishing opens and doing kind of things and uh, weren't able to get him uh, on the show. So here we are. What's up, Amy? Lots of familiar faces in there. Uh, Darius, Frank, Brendan. Just shout out a few. Um, so, yeah, the main focus tonight, we want to talk about the Bassmaster Opens, the EQs. Uh, kind of get your take as somebody that's fished four years of Bassmaster Opens at various, you know, one division, full division. You've done the co-angler. And now you're doing the full EQ. Kind of get your take. Really don't haven't asked you about it. Um, I assume that you don't hate it too much. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be fishing all nine. But uh, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that a little bit. Uh, maybe talk some some uh, uh, forward facing sonar. I know you've gotten deep into that. You've got uh, definitely a soft spot in your heart for the spinning rod. So there'll be a lot of things to tackle tonight. Definitely has a soft spot for smallmouth. Uh, so we might touch on that. <clears throat> so. Lots All my favorite things, there. Rich. Yeah. And then we can talk about my my uh, my new hoodie that I got at some point. It's pretty sharp. It's, it's a good looking hoodie. What's up, Bo? I see Andrew peeking in. Friends from Omnia. Yeah. 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 Omnia representing. What's up, Andrew? All right. So there's, I guess, one, maybe just like what made you decide to, I guess, just go all in? Like, what was that decision like for you? Well, it's kind of a story. It, uh, it was, man, it was like keeping me up at night trying to decide what I was going to do. And I looked at fishing some other, um tournament circuits out there and looked at fishing a single division of Bassmaster and sort of weighed all my options and man at the end of the day it came down to like I'm set up for what I'm doing you know like I sold my house I live in an RV travel around like this is this is my main goal is to try and make it in professional fishing and um it just felt like any other option would be a sacrifice or giving up. And I know a lot of people had to make sacrifices and 
you know, it's a, it's a challenge to commit to doing all nine. And, um, I, I totally understand that, but for me, it was just, I stretched everything that I could. I stretched budget. I stretched time off from work. I stretched everything possible to make this work. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's what I love to do. And I just want to keep moving forward with it. Don't want to take a step back. And so ultimately, um, keeping the end goal in mind, like fishing all nine was the only thing that made sense. Sure. Have you ever, have you ever done any Toyotas? I have, and they're really good tournaments. I, I fished one on Gunnersville and absolutely loved it. I thought it was ran really well. Um, it helped. I had a decent event there too, but it, um, you know, I, 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 I like that they still have a championship, you know, that's, that's, uh, attractive, but, um, just to qualify for the invitationals, I, I personally, that's not where I see myself going. It's not what I've dreamt of my whole life. And, um, I'm kind of bass master blue through and through kind of guy. So I, it's all I've ever done. The clubs I've always fished in were bass affiliated and, um, just a whole, I don't know, just the whole classic and, you know, the angler of the year and the elite series, it just, that all means so much to me that um, that's just kind of where my heart lies, at least at this time in my life. For sure. <clears throat> Very cool. Uh, so I guess there was a question here. Uh, Brandon wants to know best and worst part of the opens. If you could sum it up. Well, the best part for me is getting to travel around and fish new venues. And it's not just like you drop the boat in and go fishing and have fun. Like you, you, you go out and you grind and you, you find every little nuance and you've done all this research ahead of time. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a steep entry fee and it's a lot of money for a guy like me. So to try and, um, do do my absolute best and doing homework and all that and then get to the venue and actually put the boat in the water it's like the coolest feeling ever just to like sometimes you just erase everything that you studied and just start from scratch and you, you just the uncertainty you never know what you're going to get into and I, I just love that feeling of going to new places and having a purpose while you're there to do well um the worst part is trying to compete with 225 other boats on the water, plus local anglers and plus whatever else. It's just, it's so many boats. It makes basically any body of water feel like it fishes small. Like, I mean, any place like James river, we, we, we have 90 miles of river that we can catch a bass on. And it doesn't matter where you go. Like there's no, hidden creeks there may be places where you can't get a bass boat and you can only get a flat bottom or something like that so maybe some guys get some some advantages there but if you can get a bass into or a bass boat into a place um yeah i mean you're not having it to yourself yeah absolutely that's probably one of the things i guess one of the things they're changing this year right is they are there never was like for i guess the foreseeable history there has been no off limits or any limits on info sharing up until what, like the two, three days before the tournament. And now they've kind of, I guess the info didn't really change much, right? It's just the 
on the water changed. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's more like five days of no info now. And then, which I guess could kind of help. Like there's, there's always people that talk about how they think so-and-so is getting a guide the weekend before. Um, so this kind of eliminates any of that right. sort of paranoia or if some of, I don't know, maybe if that is a real thing, I don't know. It doesn't happen in any of the circles that I run with, but um, yeah. I get, um, but yeah, so five days and then 30 day off limits beforehand is a big change. So, and I'm, I'm a proponent of it because um, I still do work a full-time job. And so I'm, I don't have the luxury to go and, live on the lake for two weeks ahead of time. And um, so I, I feel like just in general, it sort of levels the playing field. And I think it's, I think it's good for the tournaments and hopefully better on the fisheries. We'll see. Yeah. Anything that makes the fishery a little less beat up uh, by the time Derby day rolls around is it's going to be good. Like that just, it's going to make it a better experience for everybody. I don't know. That's really going to change the outcome or the place or how like, but at least, yeah. <laughs> You know, when you scratch out a 40th, maybe you're you're catching, uh, you know, 13 pounds a day instead of nine pounds a day. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Tap the like button if you guys want. That'd be awesome. Uh, it is a reality check to be back working and in the cold. So both of those were very harsh. Um, so speaking of uh, – anglers on the water has that ever created any confrontations for you during in practice or in tournaments or not for me i you know i've uh i've gotten a little huffy about someone coming in too close to me but it's never turned into an issue it's it's um yeah it's it's best just to communicate right away and i'm i feel like i'm pretty good at that if if someone's getting close i try and establish what their intentions are and how we can work together pretty much right away. And that, that basically avoids any of the confrontations, but it does happen. Um, normally it's, it's usually pretty peaceful and people figure it out, but yeah, I, I know, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot more people hold in their rage about it than actually let it out. Like you'll hear a lot of people at the end of the day, Oh, so-and-so is getting too close and whatnot, but I mean, we, you sort of just get used to it fishing these larger fields. You're just going to have to deal with having boats around you. It's just the, mm -hmm. the way of the world. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard for some people. Like a lot of people don't like to fish around anybody else. And heck, I'm the same way too. If I have my option, I'd, I'd way rather be off by myself somewhere. But um I mean, uh, like the last open I fished on the upper Chesapeake, there was no option to go anywhere else because I didn't get a bite anywhere else except around where I started, which ended up being a pretty popular place. Do you feel like the opens have evolved much? I mean, obviously you don't know. I mean, not, you know, this year with standing i mean obviously you'll learn more about it but like in the previous five years do you feel like they were pretty much the same year over year as far as or do you think there has been much of a shift i you know i, I guess i haven't put too much thought into that i i think the competition has always been really stiff um you know 
one thing that I think is going to change a lot this year is I, I guess I haven't looked at the, I haven't looked at the numbers on it, but I don't know how many guys are coming over from the college program this year to do the EQs. And that's been a, that's been a big factor. I guess that was more of a shift. Maybe my second or third, third year in is a lot of the younger talent was coming in and doing really well. And I'm curious how that's going to shake out this year, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like, in previous years too, and this is kind of more speculation, but you didn't, in previous years, you would have more elite series guys fishing the opens. Last year, there weren't very many at all. And then this year, I can't imagine there will be either, but um, I guess we don't really know who the other 75 anglers are gonna be in each of the tournaments. Cause we, we know that there's 176 EQ anglers that are going to that are going to be fishing all nine but the field size is up to 250 this year and so there's going to be 75 other guys that are just either cherry picking or just you know fishing a single division i think there's maybe only like 30 people fishing a single division so hmm. yeah there are changes for sure yeah i can see i think what there's kenta is fishing them all there's like one or two elites or something like that. It's a really small number. Yeah. I would imagine it's definitely a handful fishing a division, you know, just to kind of log up a classic. Um, yeah. Or just to fill out kind of a, you know, to get to that, you know, 15 tournament mark that a lot of them want to be at. <clears throat> so did the, did the, did the EQ, the all nine, did that, excite you make you feel like your odds were better did what, what was your kind of general gut feel when it was first announced because there's a lot of people right that maybe aren't in your position that you know had already kind of committed to like chasing that dream but there's a lot of people that were like oh man they they took out the working man he can't fish three tournaments and and make it and you've done all of the above you've done one division you've done two divisions you've done all of them so what were your thoughts yeah, I, I feel for that guy. I feel like I am that guy. I'm just stretching myself thin and trying to trying to make all nine work. But um, yeah, I guess my my gut reaction is kind of a mixture of emotions. Like I I've heard the concept of having a nine tournament division uh, for qualifying for a while. I I, I listen to BTL as well, and uh, Matt Pangrak on there has had that concept for a long time and i've kind of been on board i think it i think it has its merits but at the same time i think too the cream rises to the top and um you know like the the guys that that fish one division and qualify in their first year i mean the argument is is that person isn't ready for the elite series but the examples that i know of off the top of my head like a bob downey he's proven that he's ready. He's doing well. And, um, you know, there's other examples too. So I, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't feel exactly one way or the other. I just kind of have a mixture of emotions on it. Yeah. I, I feel like what Pangrak, what we originally touted, I think he actually saw that as like another layer <laughs> between the, 
uh, elite series and and the opens, right? I don't think he at the time was thinking that the the, the opens would become uh, the EQs. It's it's interesting. I mean, I see it both ways. Um, Bob definitely is probably a strong one to argue, uh, you know, against the change. You know, somebody like Jay Shakurit, but you know, Jay also has a pedigree. Did you know won a couple coin? So I mean, it wasn't just like a one and in. Um, but I do think there is probably, I think it was probably more the like the, the central division guys <laughs> that seemed to be the ones that made the best examples for the argument to go to the EQ, you know, where they'd have like Afalachibayan, Red River, and like Texoma, right? And it's like <clears throat> they barely drive in there, you know, you, you, you could probably make it without like having a depth finder on your boat. And then all of a sudden you go from that to traveling all over the country and fishing largemouth and spotted bass and, right? Uh, so I think that's, you know, probably some of the case against it. <clears throat> uh, but overall, I think, I, I think from, I don't think it necessarily is a talent thing, but I do think it makes you get prepared from a finance and lifestyle standpoint so that when you do make it after fishing all nine, you're in a much better physical, mental, um, and you understand what it takes at that point. Cause I do think there are some probably several anglers who have made it through a division or two that maybe, you know, talent wise were there, but they probably didn't have everything else in their life together to really make a run, like, and, and put themselves in the best position. And, and there's, there's cases, every situation examples, pros and cons. So I thought about that too. And, and I've heard that, I've heard that theory, I think, um, directly from Bass. That was one of their arguments for going to this format was that it, that it will better prepare anglers for the Elite Series once they get there. Um, but I can't, I can't think of very many, if any, anglers in recent history that have qualified and then had to drop out because of finances or because they felt like they weren't ready. Maybe they don't perform as well the first couple of years, I guess. There could be an argument for that. But as far as, and maybe you don't want to name any names, but can you think of any Elite Series guys in the last few years that have had to drop out because of financial reasons? I, I think the last person... Well, it's, it's, always, it's always a little weird because it's, it's guys that aren't doing well. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting my elbow fixed or like it's family reasons or, you know what I mean? Like nobody typically comes out and says like, I can't afford to fish the New, the New York swing. But there's been a couple. And I would say it's yeah. probably down a little bit, but I would say maybe like a few years back, it was even probably more common when the field was a little bigger. Um, and it's not a lot. It's still a few, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's a problem though. It's not I systemic. Mean, it's not like, yeah. no, it's not like 10, 20% are like dropping out. Yeah, no, it's, um, I do think it, overall the system's probably a little better. Just, you know, nine out of 175 versus, you know, three out of 200. Um, I think, you can you can make a case that you get hot in a three tournament circuit right i mean you got to be damn good you got to be like hot for basically all three tournaments because you can only give up what 40 50 points in a, in a division right so i mean you got to average a top 15 just about uh which is it's no easy feat so you you don't you don't necessarily luck into that 
but you know, you can get some things that line up for you, right? Like you get the right schedule, things can work out. Whereas I feel like it definitely takes some of that luck or just lining up of a schedule out of the equation when you spread it over nine. So I do think it will give us the best of the best. And it does give you a little bit of room. Like you spin a hub, <laughs> your season isn't lost, right? Like you spin a hub and can't, don't make way in one day in a three season or three tournaments. You, you might as well just <laughs> pack it up or it's just, uh, I'm fishing for the classic or I'm fishing for education or experience at that point. So, yeah, yeah, that's true for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> So what what is there anything you've done this year in preparation for all nine that you maybe weren't doing in past years that like you feel like it's putting you in a better position or you're changing the way, you know, I don't know, uh, technology or tools or your setup or mentally or practice or not practice or like is there anything you're doing this year or a few things that you're changing up? Uh, yeah, I guess. A little bit. So I'm always trying to adapt with technology. I'm always trying to push that curve. I think it's, I think it's huge, um, especially for the way I like to fish, which is I do a lot of finesse fishing and I do a lot of offshore fishing, whether it's finesse or not. Um, but anytime you're offshore, the more you can know about your surroundings, the better. So uh, I spent, spent a lot of time on LiveScope and uh, recently added a mega 360 last year and so i'm learning more about that and yeah basically trying to push the live scope to the ab absolute maximum um there's so many different things you can do with it i'm just getting into perspective mode it hasn't really been a big thing for me in the past but i'm seeing some benefits to that and uh yeah i guess uh technology wise that's kind of what's going on and then and uh, in general, I'm, I'm kind of doing my normal thing, except, uh, except pushing myself even harder to just work harder and spend more time on the water. Um, every, every weekday I'm getting out after work and putting in a hour or two after work on the water. So I'm down in Florida, like I said earlier right now. And so like tonight I went out and caught a few and just tried to learn as much as possible. And, um, and then uh, I guess the other thing I'm doing is trying to stay fit more. Um, I'm 38, so I'm kind of getting getting aged. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of in that prime age on the Elite Series. I think I'm right around the median age. Um, so I feel good about that, but I do want to try and stay healthy as long as possible because if I, if I do make it, I want to have a, have a long, nice, long, healthy career. So I can... That's kind of the main things. So there's like these little like evening workout trips. Do you go out with like intent? Like, is it tonight is like drop shot night? Tonight is like perspective mode night. Tonight is like shallow flipping. Like, what what kind of things are you working on, or what what kind of goals do you give yourselves on these little one to two hour excursions? Yeah, that's a hundred percent it. And then too, like it's a technology thing. Like, so I'll, I'll make a little tweak with how my live scope transducer is positioned on my trolling motor and I'll, I'll go and experiment with that. So it's, it's experimentation and, um, 
trying trying some new techniques and sometimes it's just i want to feel a bass bite so i'll put a drop shot in my hand and go catch one but uh it's it's just trying to stay sharp and get in the rhythm of going out on the water and you know trying to figure out how to position yourself to catch a fish sure are you still a single uh forward facing sonar transducer and screen at this point or do you got multiple I'm still I'm still a single live scope and then a 360. So whether you consider that forward facing or not, but I I use it to get the landscape and line up targets. Um, so like I'll I'll see something I want to aim my live scope at on 360, and I I think they work in harmony like super well. So I don't have. I don't have a dedicated perspective mode screen yet. I have three on the front of my bass cat, which, you know, bass cat is fairly narrow in the front. So it's already a lot of stuff going on up there, but, uh, I did see Tristan McCormick, I think had four on the front last year. And I'll be curious to see how many guys go that way. Yeah. You're, it's starting to become more common. Well, there's a couple things that I'm starting to see is one, they basically have one dedicated to regular and one dedicated to perspective, or they've got one on the trolling motor and one on a, uh, a manual, like a crappie turret. Type mount turret. <clears throat> um, and then the other thing I'm starting to see is people having like a little <clears throat> turret on like a gimbal. I forget what those, the, uh, Kong mount type thing, uh, like right by the council that they'll drop down and then they'll idle with live sonar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few guys putting them on the back too, um, on the transom, and they run them like a side scan transducer. It works well on rock lakes, from what I've heard. I I don't have that set up personally, but uh, um, yeah, you're you're starting to see that. I. I've seen what you're talking about. I've seen in a walleye application for um, for trolling, and that that looks super sick. Like they're they're watching their bait back there. They're making sure it's at the at the right depth, and they can watch the fish come up to it and see how they react. So yeah, that's uh, there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Yeah, I, what I've heard more is people like basically have a turret like right by the shifter, and they're like panning around on top of their side imaging and like looking for you know things fish probably more fish than anything or bait at that point <clears throat> that stuff that's maybe a little easier to see on live than in uh you know like rocks and brush and that kind of stuff are probably gonna look even easier on but so that's yeah, i think we're only unfortunately maybe only scratching the surface of live sonar at this point <clears throat> yeah the thing i like about that too is um like in these 225 plus boat tournaments you you need to be stealthy too. Like you definitely don't want to catch a fish in front of anybody, but even standing up on a spot and like make it known that there's something worth looking at there, uh, can, can give a, can give a good spot away. And so to, to just slow down your idle and flip your turret over, like maybe most people wouldn't notice you doing that. And, Get away with looking around at a spot more closely without having to stand up on your front deck. I I think that's pretty smart. Yeah. Matt, EQ is uh the elite qualifiers. So that's what they've termed, I guess, the point system 
for the anglers, the 175 anglers that are fishing all nine Bassmaster Opens and what you are now required to do to make the Bassmaster Elites. Hopefully that answers your... Uh... Yeah, we've heard uh, rumors about 360 Live. I have, I don't know. I haven't heard anything like... I don't believe it's like coming out this year at ICAST or the Classic or anything. I think it's a little ways out from the sounds of it. Um, I think we're more likely to see a, a, a brushless Ultrax before we see a live 360 at this point. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I I don't have any insight on that either. I I'm not sponsored by any of the three main companies. I run all three on my boat, um, so I'm paying retail just like everybody else. And I I haven't heard any any updates i've obviously heard the rumors that it will come out at some at some time but uh i guess like from my perspective pun intended perspective mode is pretty dang close to a 360 uh live you just maybe only get 180 but yeah. uh you're manually controlling it versus it just kind of constantly spinning yeah um, and i i I run my 360 on kind of the front view too, so I'm not really seeing much behind my boat. I feel like I'm normally moving down a path, and so I've already seen what would be behind me unless I'm missing a fish. But I'm panning around on live scope enough that if there is something that obvious, I think I'd pick up on it. Yeah, so what is your, I guess, walk us through your, like, what do you have at the console? What do you have at the bow? Like, how do you set it up and break it down? Yeah, so at the console, I've got two Lowrance HDS-12s, uh, one I've run dedicated on maps. I like the idea of having a Humminbird and a Lowrance at the console. Um, I tried a Helix at, and a HDS-12 at the console and just didn't like the user functionality of the helix um i think i should probably try a solix or an apex or something like that at the console because i i feel like i do too much clicking around and not have a touch screen and i'm so used to having a touch screen with the with the hds that like waypoint management and zooming in on things and uh moving around on a map and that type of thing was just uh it didn't fit well for me um, I think the Lake Master mapping is beautiful, though. I wish I wish I could get used to it so that I could have that. Although I, I don't think I'd like paying 150 bucks every time I went to a different state or region or whatever um, for the mapping card. But it's kind of a trade off. But anyway, so I so I run dedicated mapping on basically on my uh, uh, port side screen and then on my starboard. That's where all my magic happens. So it's. Uh, side scan down on the bottom screen and then i run down scan 2d sonar and sometimes another small uh map on that screen too just to to have a point of reference and then so that's kind of where i that's that's where i spend most of my time and then when i do actually get to go fishing i go up to the front and i've got a garmin on top and then a helix 10 and a lorance hds 12 all on the front and um, I'm using the Garmin for live scope, the Humminbird 100% dedicated for a 360, never even touch it. Don't even mess with contrast much or anything. And then the Lowrance I use for 
2 D and mapping. So, so that's which size or what Garmin or which size Garmin are you running? I'm running the Garmin twelve twenty two GPS map. And uh, so far, I, I really like like it. I had a 93 SV, which is really good bang for the buck and 100% would still recommend that unit. Um, I wanted to get a little bit bigger screen just so I can pick up on my bait a little better. I feel like you can, I mean, maybe my eyes are getting old or something, or maybe it's because I'm six foot five inches away from the screen or whatever, but uh, I, I got the 12 um, counter for that reason, and, and I really like it. It's um, it's a non-touch version. I don't miss the touch too much. It's got a nice knob to adjust uh, gain and the depth and stuff like that. The thing I do like about not having a touch up there is uh, so often you'll you'll have water drop off from your lure, or you'll get a little splash over the front or whatever, and it, and that can kind of screw up the touch screen. So so it is kind of nice. Um, just kind of have old school non-touch screen, um, but yeah, GPS, GPS map, twelve twenty-two. Nice, cool. You might be surprised that uh, I have two Helix tens at the council, and then up front I have Helix twelve that I run three sixty, and then just like a sliver of sonar map, and then uh, a ten twenty-two on top of that. That's pretty impressive. I'm surprised surprised you went that far with it. With the 34, even. I assume you have the 34. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't I, to be honest, so I didn't get the Garmin installed until mid-September. So So you're just trying to get used to it still. Yeah. Basically I only had one day, <clears throat> the last day of the year where I was uh fishing Marion and uh Jerk baits in like the milfoil coontail clumps that were still standing and pulling them out of there, which was pretty impressive. That was, I, I would have not caught nearly the amount of fish I did that day without it for sure. Like, yeah, there's so many cool things about it. Like in your scenario, there just being able to see the way the fish react and the way they come out of the the grass like that, I I think is so valuable to to stay confident with that technique and um you know it, it either gives you confidence or it makes you want to switch lures or try something else yeah it was a pretty so like i was seeing fish like follow me slow rolling uh a bladed jig like i'd see them peek their heads out of the grass and then like and i and i'd throw my jig back couldn't get them to react to that so i was like i'm gonna try a jerk bait right it's like november 13th water's pretty cold <clears throat> um and uh make a few casts with a 110 and I'm like just seeing my jerk bait and I'm seeing how high it is above the grass that's still there. And I'm like, I don't think they're going to come up that far. So I made like three casts and I knew I was like, I need to go to a plus one. I went to a rearrange MR and literally the next cast I caught a pike that I saw eat it by getting it down. I could just see it coming. And all of a sudden I was catching pass and pike and then like just being able to see like something move. And you're like, all right, I'll let it sit there. Right. Or like, and you just like, it makes you so much more efficient for certain techniques. So even pike are fun on live scope until they're not <laughs> <laughs> um i guess what that that made me think of one thing with with the lbs 34 i feel like i can see so much better through grass like i can i can see fish moving around in 
fairly heavy mill foil. Like it's pretty amazing. Um, I, I've used Active Target and whatever they called the Lowrance one prior to that. And I honestly think Active Target is probably a little bit better when you're on a non-grass lake. But anytime you get around grass, I feel like the Garmin just sees through grass so much better. And um, and I like I like how many different things you can change with Garmin too. So you, you can adjust a lot more settings. With Lorance, you basically only have contrast. And um, it's nice to play around with some different things depending on what type of water you're in. Cool. Yeah, I've got a few questions I want to catch up on here. Let's see here. Uh, West Coast Hunter, 745 versus 746. I'm assuming we're talking Dobbins, half-ounce jig. I mean, if money's no object, I would go 755. But I think you could also go with an XP 744 or an Extreme 745 and still get everything you need for pitching jigs and Texas rigs. Um, Scott, I am not personally selling these hoodies. I don't know if Amy's still on or not, but Amy, uh, she sent me this. So I think you could look up the print craft or send a DM to tackle craft on our uh, Instagram and they would probably, uh, hook you up with one of these. Um, we did see somebody from Arsenal peeking in. What's up guys? Uh, let's see here. What other, um, yeah, so same thing on the hoodies. So these aren't this isn't my merch. It's something I need to work on. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, you got to talk to Amy if she's still on. She can let you know in the comments. Uh, facial hair does not make you better at fishing, but it makes you better at catching. Yeah, it's less sunscreen to put on too. It's an efficiency thing. <clears throat> and then this time of year, when you're you know on November thirteenth or january cold front in florida it's uh less you know you don't have to have your neck buff up as high because your face stays warm uh, yeah so i think somebody answered this in the chat spinning the hub means that you're spinning out the hub on your prop and basically it's designed that way so that you will not the hub if you hit something with your prop that it will spin the hub versus taking out your lower unit is basically the design so that's what that means it's like like the same concept as a shear pin kind of thing. Yeah, it's like the shear pin on your trolling motor, but it's a rubber. Although the new ones aren't exactly that same way. I don't. Um, uh, Merck Merck never really had, or at least with a Pro XS, you could not spin a hub. If you yeah. spun your hub, you you ruined your lower unit. But on a Yamaha, they they have the rubberized insert hub and uh that's a lot of times what what you'll hear when people spinning a hub but my my efi he definitely could like those i don't know at what point mercury switched that new cell hub but there was definitely a, yeah that was a thing um i don't know they could be interesting the only thing about a giant screen versus multiple screens i know one of the reasons that i run two tens instead of like a 12 or a 16 is redundancy um, in a pinch, if for some reason a unit goes dead, just something freak happens, I can, because everything's etherneted and ported and all that kind of stuff, I can basically do everything on either one of them. Uh, or with a couple quick cable disconnects, I can get by. Um, so that would be the only downside of a 
one giant screen up front and one giant screen in the back would be that if you lose it, you lose everything. But 100% agree. That's uh, that's a huge thing, especially especially doing uh, tournaments across country like this. Like you you can't have enough spare stuff with you just because nature of the beast is we break stuff and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's so so reassuring to have like an extra 12 inch unit that i use on my left side for mapping but i could put that in any of the other positions to do whatever i need it to or if you're you're you know you if your front uh lorance went out you could steal one from the dash in a pinch and just throw yep. it up there and get by Yep, for uh, sure. Get- the the big screens too suck a lot of energy, and that's one thing that we're running up against too is having enough battery capacity to power all these screens. So yeah, I mean you can configure your graphs. You can leave one off if you think you're going to be using too much power or whatever. But if you have just two big ones, um, you wouldn't have that option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you know, part what natural what we're just talking about, like yeah, dealers, uh, companies you trust that you can work with, that have good warranty. I mean, it could be ones that you have official relationships with. That's even or just working with brands, or even when you say buying, spending your own money. You know, a lot of times picking brands that you feel comfortable with that have the most service centers or have good warranty or good customer service. That's all important. All thing to consider. when you're trying to make a living or like when you have a lot of money on the line that you can get something to, to get you by, or they're going to support you for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge deal at at the opens. They've got service trailers where we can bring our boats and hopefully they'll have uh, parts to help get you fixed up. If you have anything go wrong, um, including trolling motors and, units and motors and whatever and uh so you definitely want to be friendly with those guys i i try and bring them donuts and everything everything i can to get in their good graces so sure preston's checking in (laughs) i wouldn't Uh, i can't answer it i don't know i yeah i'm not sure (laughs) is asking for a friend Um, yeah, I know that is true that the new Gen 2 Active Target, I have not seen it in person. I don't know if you've got any buddies or anybody you run with down there that you've seen it yet in person. I have not. No, I'm, I've only seen just kind of the same stock photos that everybody else has. So I'm excited to see what it is too. see how it, how it uh, performs any differently than the current one. Mm-hmm. I mean, so is it like, is it going to be like up to the 34 or is it just going to catch up to like the 32 or like, it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah. Well, I, I think the biggest thing, I don't know. Like, I think the biggest thing they could do is a software update to give you more options. Yeah. Preston, he did touch on this. I don't know if you were on, but uh, I've noticed that my little experience, I can definitely, you don't necessarily always can tell what it is or, but you can definitely see movement in the grass for sure. Uh, yeah, you can. And um, so I guess a couple of tips with that is if you're trying to accomplish this, 
go to a place where you're out of the wind for one because that that kind of eliminates other things moving around in the grass and then uh i like to turn my gain down so i'll, I'll actually turn it down to a point where i can just barely see my lure splash mm. or maybe not even see my lure at all i do like to still see it just so i have a frame of reference where i'm pitching to um but then i turn color gain up and color gain is kind of interesting it makes hard things brighter so your your grass will get a little bit brighter but it'll really make the the fish that are in the grass really pop a, a little better and um so between those two things um i don't really mess with any other settings and the lvs 34 was like the biggest change that i noticed was being able to see in the grass better the 32 is really really good it's definitely um you don't need to upgrade if you already have the 32. i just feel like the 34 is just a just a touch better i've heard like that target separation on the bottom i never ran a 32 but people said that they they could pick up more fish or baits closer to the bottom <clears throat> which would make sense about the grass too just getting that target separation yeah um i think the th the power pole trolling motor will launch either at the classic or icast this year i think it's actually going to happen this year from the sounds of it yeah i'm i'm curious about that one i'm i'm interested to see what that does with a lot of uh pro relationships too because i know there's a lot of guys that are running power poles and some other type of graphs Lawrence and Garmin come to mind. So mm -hmm. um, now that everybody has a trolling motor, it'll be kind of interesting to see who's still sponsored where. Right. Do, uh, do co-anglers ever affect how you fish in the open? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so... Um, when they're not catching anything, I don't think it really affects me too much unless they're casting in front of the boat or something like that. But for the most part, like I usually just try and have a good time with them and hopefully they're catching them, but not catching fish that I wish I would have caught <laughs> kind of thing. But if they are, if they are catching fish and they're catching meaningful fish, like I'll change up. I'm not too proud. Um, yeah, I can think of several examples where somebody was throwing something a little bit different than I was, which is what you're supposed to do as a co-angler. And uh, it was working better than whatever I was doing. And, um, you know, cause it's so conditional and you practice for several days. If it's, if it's a little bit different conditions, there might be a, a lure that works better on the day that you go back there. But I don't know about you, Rich, but it's, if I, if I get a bite and practice, like I normally go back to that spot with that bait in mind. It's just, it's hard for us to get that out of our heads that, um, you know, there might be a better technique on that given day. So yeah, you know, a lot of times that kind of gives you confidence that something else might work. It's an easy trap for sure. <clears throat> I know I can think of one time that I intentionally didn't, and it was actually fishing with Dan on Big Stone all the all the practice days hot sun calm and i was throwing like a frog like up super shallow and the tournament day was rainy and windy and overcast 
and I started the day with a chatterbait instead, and it immediately paid off. Uh, and obviously, thinking back, it was the obvious decision, but it's not always obvious when you've been getting bites on something for five days in a row. Like you get that blind to the conditions and fishing the moment sometimes, and yeah, you know, yeah. can put you off to your blindness a lot of times. Yep, exactly. Yep. Johnny is like tagging everybody and their brother. <laughs> What's up, Johnny? <laughs> awesome. Keep it up. Yeah. Um, I guess I do, I do want, want to forget to uh, make sure we do thank Arsenal Fishing for supporting the channel and the stream. Uh, as always, you can uh, check out Arsenal Fishing and use code Halibats15 down below. Um, what, so just uh, what, what is your favorite Arsenal bait in specifics? Like, What's your favorite bait color and your favorite way to fish it? Uh, it's pr it's probably got to be the tack tack minnow. I always call it a tack swimmer. I don't I think I've got the name wrong, but tack minnow. I, I like the uh, I like the. Now you're making me pick a favorite. I I like the three point five, okay. and I like the white that's kind of translucent. Is that the flash bang white? think so it's a so i think it's got like the hard flex in it yeah yeah i think it's the one you cut the snook on yeah. but anyway i use so i use that on a drop shot and i'll texas kind of texas rig it on a drop shot and swim that through grass and that's that's a pretty deadly technique in the north um it's uh it's a way to to yeah flashbang white thank you and uh it's a way to cover a little bit of ground on the drop shot instead of just pitching it into one place, shaking it and reeling it up. Like you can actually cast what, it out and retrieve it a little. Are, what hook are you using a Texas rig, that drop shot, that little swing? I've played around with a few, but I ultimately end up going back to like a two-watt EWG style. Hmm. So it's a fairly small hook, which I like on a drop shot. So it's just a regular um, sort of thinner wire EWG, it wouldn't, you wouldn't want like a heavy duty one because I'm using spinning tackle to do it. And, um, but that, that hook ends up being really weedless and uh, that setup is just awesome. Like you can pitch it right into a clump of grass and not get hung up. But then two, I love that uh, as a spinnerbait trailer too. That same, that same tack, tack minnow. Uh, as a, as a spinnerbait trailer. And then as a chatterbait trailer, I usually go with a 4.5 though. So I feel like the action is just a little bit better with a little bit longer, a uh, little bit longer bait, but that 3.5 is perfect on a spinnerbait. And I've been throwing that a lot lately. Yeah, I've, I've thrown it a lot on the, uh, the Bassman Compact, that little three and a half That's inch. Same, same bait I've been using lately. I love that thing. Um, and then, yeah, I throw a lot of four and a half inch on the, the, uh, the chatterbaits and then I will throw a three and a half inch a lot. If I know I'm majority targeting smallies on a chatterbait, I'll trim it up a little bit, trim the skirt up and just profile a little bit. <clears throat> um, but I don't, I've not tried drop shotting like that. So that'll be something to, um, see here uh johnny you need a new soft frog why is green not the best because black is the best so you only need a black <laughs> and a white because yeah your green frog I, the, probably has a white bottom 
and they're not looking at the green top, Johnny. Yeah, the the black makes for a good contrast, is what I always thought. That's that's why I think a lot of people like the black frogs, and they can so like a lot of times you're throwing a soft frog around super heavy cover, and um, part of what you're trying to do is get them to be able to see where it is because. I know a lot of times frog fishing, you'll have fish that completely miss it. And a lot of times those are pike, but sometimes it's bass too. And uh, I feel like if you can give them a better target with um, giving them more contrast with a black frog, um, that they, you'll have better success. You got a black frog in there? I'm sure I do somewhere. But I did have a date when I was changing colors, but it wasn't this one unleash actually you fished this tournament i did in, in a borrowed boat that was a whole other story but <laughs> i was throwing a black frog and i think it was the second morning and i had like three in a row miss my black frog and i went to this one and they choked it the rest of the day so sometimes subtle color changes can make a difference in whether if a fish commits to a bait and that can be with a top water that can be the frog that could be a, a spinner blade a bladed jig like a lot of times it's really simple like dark light but other times small tweaks can be the difference in them committing so it, it's i don't know you just gotta be listening to the fish right like <laughs> if you're catching a lot of fish like crankbaits on the rear hook or they're catching them on the outside of the mouth or things like that that could be a uh, an idea that you might need to tweak it and that's really wholesale change but a small tweak might create uh, big big peaks and improvement hmm. it's not true I'm pretty picky about my frogs I don't I don't stray too far from the truth um. <laughs> All right. didn't you used to be a big Terminator frog guy I kind of liked them I mean I had a, a I felt like my hookups were pretty good with Terminators, but I feel like their weights came out really easy. Like the, and uh, they were pretty economical, but now I feel like they've also come up in price. I don't know. I've, I don't dislike the Terminators, but they're not in my like my top rotation anymore. Um, you got the furry frog, the Rumbanus one. Uh, I've tried the Stanford frog with the little. I'm be honest that one is not anywhere like that's a that's a mississippi river pike pre-fish and don't care if a pike eats it frog for me like i don't feel like the hookups are very good on that which is is weird because you'd think if boom boom puts his name on it and it would be legit and i for me and my mechanics and my hook sets and like my setup it's not the deal maybe the deal for other people for me it hasn't been the deal Yeah, I've, I've actually warmed more up to spro frogs recently. I was kind of like, eh, spro frogs are ordinary, but I've I've come to to appreciate them more. Um, do you uh, South Jersey always likes to talk about big baits? Uh, have you dabbled with big baits in your live scope? I just started. I um, kind of was inspired by Milliken Fishing, who. Uh, <laughs> Kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know if most people 
I don't know what most people think about him. He seems maybe like he might be a little controversial, but he has some pretty good stuff out there. And uh, his live scope videos are pretty amazing. Like if you if you want to learn live scope, like don't mean to be a salesman for milk and fishing, but he's got some pretty good stuff out there. And so sort of inspired by that, um, I started throwing around a uh, the single only glide bait that I have in my boat, which is an Arashi one, and uh, played around with it on LiveScope. And um, I haven't spent enough time with it to really know, but uh, it was fun. It shows up really nice. I mean, you won't have a problem with that. You'll be able mm -hmm. to see it on your screen really easily. And the, I, I love the concept about it because it's sort of a suspending bait, like a, um, a glide bait anyway. I, I know there's different rates of fall with different swim baits and stuff, but uh, you can, that's kind of the trick I feel like with live scope is to keep the bait at the level, whatever the fish are at. Um, so, you know, jerk bait's a big one and this glide bait, I think will play. I'm, I'm curious to see um, some smaller options of a glide bait because i feel like those bigger ones are situational and they only work around certain forages and stuff but uh yeah i i think there's going to be more opportunities with glide baits specifically as far as big baits um it's interesting to see how they react to it for sure yeah i think it definitely having live scope with big swim baits and glide baits can shorten your learning curve with big baits i know uh ben just listening to him he's he really likes the extremes he likes to like eight to ten inches or he's like throwing a 2.8 like he doesn't spend a lot of time in the middle which is interesting and obviously we'll see how that pans out on the opens and the eqs because he'll be he'll be rubbing rails with with old ben here all season long um and actually i i, I want to have ben on uh, he just been on so many shows recently after the announcement. I think I was going to try to get him on, like maybe like I don't, I've looked at the schedule, but I assume there's a break in there somewhere. It might be fun to have him on after he's like three, four tournaments in, and and then get like, what do we really think? Good, bad, ugly, uh, and I think he would share his his honest opinion. So I think that would be cool. Um, yeah, I I kind of I don't know much about him. I just started watching his stuff recently, but from what I can tell, it seems like I think it'll be good. He, he likes to do things differently and he seems to like to do things his way. And that's a big deal in the opens. I think like not, not buying into doc talk and going to do what everybody else is doing is probably some of the best advice you can give somebody fishing the opens. So. All right. Let's see. Two muscle baits after the ice disappears. Have you ever done any really early, Iowa. I think Chris is in Iowa. You spent you spent a little time in Iowa. You got any? What's what's your best early ice ice out Iowa baits? Um, probably go with a jerk bait for sure. And then uh, I guess I don't know. I I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. I don't have a ton of like cold spring experience. Um, but a jerk bait for sure. And then I don't know. I feel like a chatterbait is kind of hard to beat any time of the year. Yeah. Um, true ice out. 
if you've got any shallow bays in the lake or reservoir you're fishing, I find that like right after ice out, you go throw a swim jig and literally water where you think <laughs> the bass's backs will be out of the water in these shallow bays and they're going to be in there. Um, there seems like there's like a mad rush right after ice out to get super shallow and you'll be catch some good numbers and surprisingly big bass um, just creeping a, a light swim jig. Uh, yeah, they get in that carp water where it's just carp for the rest of the year, basically those muck bottom bays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, what you, I know what you mean. Typically that is not legal in Minnesota, but I believe like Iowa doesn't have a season, so you should be able to roll right in there and cave their faces in. Um, all right, three bait techniques – you never leave home without, and then three, or I guess maybe not three, three baits you never leave home without, and then maybe what are you looking forward to get better at in this upcoming season? Um, three that I never leave at home, uh, definitely a drop shot. <laughs> um, drop shot, I, I would, shot, and a drop shot. Yeah, I would say three <laughs> drop shots, a no, a, a chatterbait for sure, and then um, uh, probably Texas rig. I don't know if you can count that as one bait, but I'll go with a flipping style Texas rig. So those are my my three I never leave home without. And then uh, what I want to get better at this year, um, I'll probably go mm, square bills. Not not the best square bill fisherman i'd like to get better at it um i feel like i've thrown it way more now that i've fished more across the country than i did back when i was at home uh but i do think it has its place in minnesota for sure too and um i'm always looking to get better at a lipless crankbait i i love throwing it in florida i don't know all the applications for it other places, I think it's kind of mostly a colder water bait, but uh, want to get better at that one. And then um, maybe a glide bait. Maybe I'll throw the big baits on there. I say every year I'm going to get better at the big baits and then making videos and tournaments come around and that thing goes right in the bottom of the compartment. <clears throat> yeah. It's not, yeah, it's a, uh, I think it's situational for a tournament, but it's not like the highest percentage. <laughs> technique and uh a lot of times especially fishing the opens you just need you just need to get some legals in the boat yeah if you hadn't gathered this big bass or bass with a big malone that uh when when hard pressed to put a fish in the boat kent's gonna have a drop shot in his hand most of the time yeah yeah pretty much i mean there's there's been a few situations where i don't have confidence in it like at the upper chest peak i could not buy a drop shot bite for whatever reason um my finesse presentation there turned into a weighted wacky rig which i guess you could call a nico but um yeah so between those probably between those two a wacky rig and a drop shot very nice nick i got two of those i think you're gonna like that ron uh, let's see here. 
tips for tourney as a boater? So maybe like first, I'm assuming just getting into tourneys as a boater, first tourneys, like what are some, it's, it's kind of a, you go a long ways on that. I'm trying to think about like, yeah, I, I think <laughs> I'll take a stab at it. So I'll just give a few, few of the things that I like to do is, do some research beforehand. So I like to use Google Earth and um, whatever type of mapping that you like. I like Navionics. They've got a pretty good online free um, web app that you can go to and do a little bit of map research. And then um, so that you feel a little more prepared when you get to the lake, just as far as where the structure is and how the lake sort of sets up. Um, I guess you can if you want read or try and watch videos on the baits. I don't think that's as important. I think it's better to just go and do your own thing. Um, and then uh, spend as much time as you can with your electronics. Uh, so as a boater, like assuming you have at least mapping in 2D, hopefully side scan too. Um, you know, if, if it's a time of the year where you think offshore is gonna play, you know, um, spend some time looking around on side scan. If it's spring or if you're the type of person that doesn't really like to fish offshore, just see as much as a, of the lake as you can ahead of time, um, just so you know where things are. So if something starts to click and you're like, oh, they're biting on docks that are next to a steep drop off or something like that, then you kind of know the other places you can run to. Um, during the tournament. And then uh, another big thing I would say is trying to limit the number of catches that you have, depending on where you are. Um, Minnesota is kind of nice to where you can, you can kind of check size on your schools and, and catch a few and not really feel like you just um, may have ruined uh, a valuable fish. Um, so I guess a, a few things that I do is I'll use um, either cutoff hooks or hitchhikers, which is just like basically a screw in um, to keep your bait on the line, it, uh, like a soft plastic bait on the line without having a hook. And, um, and then just see where you get bites and uh, keep track of that with your waypoints, come back there in the tournament and actually set the hook on the fish that are biting in that area without having to burn one of those fish because a lot of times when you hook one it's not going to bite for several days afterwards um so but one that did just chew on your soft plastic i i think has a lot more likelihood to bite your presentation again yeah i know uh it kind of depends on where i'm fishing but like going down the watchtower river two years ago now um <clears throat> I uh crankbaits are tricky, you know. But the only thing you can do on a treble hook bait is roll them all in, like. Um, but I threw a lot of spinner baits and chatter baits where I would <clears throat> there's two things that I've found effective. If like when you're if you're wiring your boat, if you save all those strippings off the copper wire, they make really good like hook covers. Um yeah. to, like, and you can kind of lean on a fish and hold them a little bit and they'll usually like come up and pop off on a spinner bait or something like that. Um, and the other thing that works really good is just little pieces of shrink tubing. You just kind of let it hang over. And then but and then again, at the same time, the shrink tubing, if you want to, and you really like, you can still hook them. <laughs> you can push through it. 
but that's the kind of stuff uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like taking a jackhammer and cutting the tip off of it to not hook fish. It gets kind of expensive. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely keep, keep my rusty hook baits and use those yeah. for practice and then keep the fresh ones that I haven't used yet or that are in really good shape. Keep those for the tournaments. So, but yeah, I, I, I like, I like, I like those ideas too. Yeah. I, I, I like every time I go, like every time I rig for a tournament, all those hooks that I cut off that were like my practice hooks or my fun fishing hooks, I throw those in a box with the, the tag still on them. And then when I go f- practice fishing, I it's what I tie on. And they're typically dull. They typically got a rolled point. They typically right, are not great. And they're probably good enough for most fun fishing. But then I also don't care if I like want to roll it over or cut the tip off or, you know, I don't feel bad because I already know that like I've already used that hook. But like just you never I, I, it's odd at how many people I'll see like getting ready to go practice the tournament and they take a fresh gamagatsu out of a brand new pack and then like take a players to it or cut the tip off it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I'm the same way. I've got, I've got a separate kind of rusty beat up hook, uh, used hook box. And then it's all freshies for the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I think telescoping mounts are pretty. I don't know if they're the next big thing, but there's a lot of people that are leveraging them. You're seeing like those balls out shorty mounts, telescoping. Um, yeah, that's what know. I'm running. I've got a beat down in it, I've got the ultimate shorty. And the um, thing I like about the ultimate shorty is it doesn't, it's not as tall as the ultimate not shorty but you do have the option to make it as tall so it's um it's basically almost like a seat pedestal that it's that the graphs can slide up and down on and then at the top it's threat it's like threaded pipe where you could connect another section of pedestal and now you can slide your graph another 18 inches higher um i like it i uh yeah, I, I I don't know if it's a direction of how things are going to go or not. It's it's tall. I mean, it's really yeah. up there, and it can make visibility a little bit tough. Now, the nice thing about it is you can obviously put your grass back down, and in a bass cat, you can you can put it all the way down. Um, bass cats have like this recessed foot pedal area that kind of extends over to where your graphs are mounted. And um, if you get the the shorty, it will fit down in that recess area, which is pretty nice. But yeah, I think I saw um, Ron Mayer last year. Did you see his setup? Mm-mm. He had, it looked like multiple RAM mounts connected together. Well, it was like articulating like a like a snake mount almost like a, yeah yeah and it, it ended up being really tall and I, I thought that was a pretty interesting it was idea like, this. like, it, like you could like well he could fold it down which yeah. is a big deal when you're gonna go across big water you know you don't want you don't want to have your 
thousands of dollars of electronics hung up in the air like that. So, um, yeah, it, people are coming up with some pretty creative stuff. And I, you know, the, the, uh, staring down at the graphs is hard on the body. I definitely feel it in my neck and, um, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough deal. I don't know what the right solution is. I think getting out, getting them up a little bit higher does help a little, but it, doesn't change your viewing angle that much. So you're still looking down. Um, it'll be interesting to see what yeah, people come know, up with. Ron, though, he's so short. I don't know why he would need it higher. So I don't, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. So. Actually, Ron uh, is fishing a Toyota on Rayburn today. I didn't, I didn't look to see how he did. Yeah, I didn't see the results yet either. Curious to see how that one went. That, that lake hasn't been really doing all that great. Um, weights wise that I've seen lately. I don't know if you've seen any different, but there's always your 10, 11 pounder or whatever, maybe a couple 20 pound bags, but look like Harris chain where I'm at right now, kicked out some big sacks today. Nice. College tour is here and a college bass master and 29 pounds is leading it. And it was 20 pounds all the way to 16th place. So that was, that's pretty Sorry. good. That's healthy fishery. Makes you wonder why you only caught 14 inches when you're out last Tuesday night and what you were doing. I've been only catching 14 inches basically every night. <laughs> but uh, I don't, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in Big Lake Harris, and um, Big Lake Harris right now has zero vegetation except in Party Cove which if you remember the elite series last year, uh, party cove was where it's where the party uh, went down. at least 75% of the field was in there at one point during the day, I would say like it was, it was, it was a party. Um, so I think they're still fishing in the cove, but, uh, they are very educated and not really excited about biting. So, um, you can still catch a few in there, but the rest of Lake Harris has zero hydrilla that I've found and just Kissimmee grass and it's pretty dirty. So I would imagine most of these bigger bags and better sacks are probably, probably not coming from big Lake Harris. Although last year, um, the or pro circuit was here. And a lot of those guys did pretty dang good out of Lake Harrison. It was kind of a similar story. So hard to say, but, uh, but I, if I was fishing a tournament, I definitely would be going to one of the other lakes. <laughs> Got a favorite jerk bait? Yeah, I'm a vision 112, 110 guy, 112, 110 plus one or 110 plus two. I don't know any of those visions. I, I have a lot of confidence in those baits. I think the action is pretty good and the the way they suspend is nice. I do also, I love the uh, Rapala Shadow Wraps. I'm huge on those. I I like the deeps and the regular Shadow Wraps. Um, I like them for live scope because they sink slowly. And so then you can kind of manipulate your depth. So if you're seeing fish down in eight feet, you probably aren't going to get a vision 110 down there unless you add some suspend dots or wire to the hook or something like that. But with a shadow wrap out of the package, you can be patient with it and it will sink. 
and uh, you can then you can start working it at any depth that you want to. So that's been a that's been a really good live scope bait for me is Rapala Shadow Wrap. Yeah, supposedly the Stunna is that way. I've not fished one, but I haven't either. But I've heard that. I like their old bait, the the cutter. I use I actually use that pretty good success for smallmouth. It didn't look like much, but had good action. I've been a big fan of the rearrange the last two years. I haven't tried one of those. Biggest knock is trying to get one and find them. They're always, you know, typical Jackal Shimano supply chain problems. How are they for casting? They they outcast a 110. They have a weight transfer system that when you throw it, it sounds like you snap your rod tip off every time you cast it. Okay. Like it's like crack. Like Yeah. Yeah, the 110, 110 is it's it's got the weight transfer system too, but it's kind of hard to cast. I I think the uh, yeah, I don't know. I I throw it on a spinning rod sometimes. <laughs> I know you're probably frown on that, but on a windy on a windy day when when you need I to have control, but I cannot get used to the the yeah. For me, my my wrist gets wore out on one side, and I I reel with my left on a spinning rail, and reel with my right on a big caster. So it's nice to switch hands. So, so on, a, on a good jerk bait bite, I'll have both. Hmm. All right, back to drop shot. I think I know the answer to this, but uh... oh, it's changed on your edge. It's not. It's not a June bug trick worm anymore for favorite. Drop I, shot I love the June bug trick worm. It's uh, it's fantastic bait. Still works great. Um, but I have switched to the Robo worm. Uh, mm. They they've got a few more, a few different sizes and some colors that I think look pretty good. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be so controversial tonight. <laughs> they're nice and soft, and uh, you can you can stick a. I like the owner cover shot hook for largemouth fishing that I do around cover. And um, and I, I stick the hook point right in the center of, of the bait. I don't like go through it and try and text pose it or whatever, try and skin hook it. I just stick it right in the middle. And with a robo worm, you'll get them every time with that thing. Have you, have you tried the, uh, the magic worms yet? Made by robo worm for missile? I haven't. Those look pretty sweet, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're really similar. They got a little different shape to them. They got kind of that, I don't know, those kind of reverse ribbings that you'd see on some of the, the missile baits. Um, Do they have a flat bottom? Yeah, they're, they're made by Roboworms. They're, they're the same pouring technology. That That's kind of one of the things that I like better about the Roboworm versus... Yeah, that looks nice. Versus the trick worm is is having that flat side to it. I think that does give the tail and kind of give the bait a little more action when you're lifting it up and down. But don't sleep on that Arsenal tack minnow either. That's that's a pretty good trick. It's uh it's a good largemouth drop shot bait. There was a period of time that I was throwing that little biovex. Colt tail, the colt tail, and I kind of like the way that I would feel, like when you'd lift, right? 
very subtle. It almost felt like you were lifting like a little tiny blade bait or something. You just feel that little. Yeah. Do you get do you get that same thing on like a tack minnow? So uh, you do a little bit, yeah, and it's it's nice because yeah, because then you, it gives you confidence that your bait isn't fouled up or that you have grass hanging on it or something like that. Or it just gives you like if if you're somebody that doesn't finesse fish a ton, right? And you're used to throwing spinner baits or chatter baits or crank baits where you get that like response, right? Mm-hmm. It, it can give you like you feel a little more engaged because a lot of times a drop shot feels like you're not doing anything or you don't, you know what I mean? You, you don't. So if you're not used to doing that, like a net or a drop shot where you're getting no response, it's just kind of this empty glide of your bait down there. It can help you feel more engaged and give you more confidence, I think, when you're trying it as a new technique. I like it. Yeah. So Chad, you know, we probably, you know, if you get Kent started on drop shot theory and the whole <laughs> thing, we did, actually, I think we we talked at least an hour or two, and I think we spent ninety percent of it talking about drop shot last time. So for those that really want like Kent's like deep theory on drop shot, you'll have to go back and search on the channel, and there's another like, I mean, we go deep on drop shot small mouth like like i think you i think uh, we won't go to deal but i want to say you have three main drop shots right it's like a large mouth uh a sparse cover and a small mouth or like a, i forget exactly what it is you have like a couple main yeah drops. yeah that's pretty much it like um the sparse cover might be like the target casting one so like i'll yeah, that's what it is Yep. And then, uh, yeah, my smallmouth one will typically be like open hook where I'm just casting the marks on my electronics. And then largemouth, um, basically Texas rig with, uh, you know, with a drop shot leader on it. And, and um, yeah, that, that, you, you basically got it right. Yeah, it was basically you had a, a largemouth weed drop set up and then you had a target set up and then kind of a fan casting set up. Yeah. 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 What's up, uh, Gabe? Tin Horse Mountie. Good to see you. Let's see. Man, we're at 90 minutes in almost, covering all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, spy baits. I can tell you I have very little opinion on spy baits. I've barely caught any fish at all on them. What are, what are your opinions, Kent? I'm sure you've thrown them more than I have. I like a Tuesday night adventure. I'm sure you've had a spy bait night or two. I have. I think they're pretty situational. Um, they're like a slick, calm, sunny bluebird's guide type of bait for me when nothing else is working. I'll experiment with it a little bit. Sometimes... I I don't know. It's like one of the most fun bites you can get. Like they absolutely destroy the thing. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, and for some reason, it seems like uh, big fish will eat it. Um, I like it. I I don't know. I'd rather throw a small swim bait personally, just on a ball head. I got more confidence in it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh those tiny little treble hooks kind of scare the shit out of me too i know uh did you win pokegama yeah yeah i all i 
I mean, I remember <laughs> more than you winning, I remember all the horror stories I heard from people talking about hooking and losing giant smallmouth on spy baits in that tournament. Yeah, it's a thing. It happens. It, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I've heard some people are, are messing around with it more with live scope and it's got a, it's got its place with spotted bass too. I know and brush pile fishing, kind of that Southeast, uh, like Hartwell type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's not, it's not big in my rotation. Yeah. Um, I like to say that I won the largemouth tournament because I think I was the highest finishing that caught 10 greenfish or weighed 10 greenfish in that tournament. So. There you go. I think Dan got big bass, didn't he? I uh, might have. But yeah, you know, a bunch of us, a bunch of us here in the chat all went to Gunnersville from there. Um, that's cool. So I guess maybe like uh, Rich asked this question a while ago. Uh, how'd you get started in fishing? First club, who took you? That kind of story. Yeah. Uh, so started started fishing just at a at, at my grandparents' um, farm pond, and I knew that I loved fishing. I was super into the outdoors, um, mostly just fishing. I'm not a hunter really, but like doing sports and everything I could outside. Um, and I love fishing and I uh, was dying for my own boat. Finally got one when I was 16. I was, I think the only guy at Wyzetta High School that was pulling a boat to school and then going out after work. And uh, I just had like a little Lund with a six horse on it, but it was like, it was the world to me to be able to go out and be able to fish on basically anywhere that I wanted to. I spent a lot of time on Minnetonka and um, didn't really, I mean, I liked fishing for anything. It wasn't necessarily bass to start with. It was whatever was biting and however I could catch them. I liked casting lures, so I was drawn to bass. I remember reading Bassin Magazine and kind of a lot of those, a lot of those old school magazines and getting as much information as I possibly could and um i wasn't ever really super excited by walleye fishing so i guess that sort of turned me towards bass or pike and there wasn't really much going on with pike so got a little bit interested in in bass fishing tournaments and i met um well i didn't meet him i i knew of a guy at the church that i went to uh mark gomez who um introduced me to the club that he was a part of called viking bass masters and um, I had gone fishing with Mark once before he had the bass boat. He had, a, at that time, a brand new 2002 Ranger, the same boat that he owns to this day, I think. And, and we went out. Burgundy, small, what was he, like that tow vehicle? It was like a little compact. Yeah, it was an R, R90 or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, but it was so but it, man, that thing was fantastic. It was like being on a dock anywhere you wanted to fish out, off of um, across a whole lake. It was, it was just amazing. I loved it. I was hooked basically from that point. I, um, he invited me to join the club. I think I was maybe 19 or so. And it, I, I was like, hey, I don't know. I 
join this club with all these old guys, you know? <laughs> and, um, but I eventually did and, uh, started fishing with those guys. I think I was 20 and, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was just, I was loving it from then on. I kind of cooled off. Like I, I was real excited about it at first. Um, didn't do super great my first year. Um, I think I got a second place or something. Then the next year I went out and got the club angler of the year. And then uh, from there, I sort of cooled off for a while and got more focused on my career and lost sight of tournament fishing a little bit. I was still, I was still fishing the club and still going to TOC, but I wasn't ever doing great at TOCs. And I just, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know how to get better, I guess. Is that during your treasury days? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was a treasurer for Bass Nation. And and then uh, a, a guy joined my club who was real competitive and he kind of pushed me to get better and kind of back and forth. And I don't know, we just pushed it to the limit, started fishing UMBCS team tournaments together and um ended up doing pretty good at that and things just started rolling and like i got more and more excited about it and as i started to get a little bit better finishes and a couple of wins mixed in here and there like i just it lit the fire and i i knew that's what i wanted to do and so that's what i've been pursuing ever since who, who was your running mate in biking that was paycheck david pakacic all right yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Dave and I, Dave and I, and uh, a friend of ours, Casey from the club, traveled the opens as co-anglers back in 2018, and um, yeah, that's that was that was a great experience. I I would recommend it for anybody that's thinking about fishing bigger tournaments is to definitely start out on the co-angler side just to see what it's like, see if you like being away from home for that long. You know, that's a hard thing, and just kind of see what all travel entails because it's a lot more than just driving down there and you're good to go like there's so many <laughs> little things that you have to deal with on the way and it's uh it's a lot but it's worth it in the end for sure yeah do you go do you go say hi to paycheck while you're down there in florida we kind of lost touch i i saw him last uh, last year at, at the elite series when they were here but uh yeah no. Not so much anymore. Nice. Uh, that's Jermaine. Uh, so you, you kind of touched on batteries. Uh, are you doing anything unique? Are you running AGMs or how are you powering all those graphs and all that kind of stuff? What's your... Yeah, nothing super unique. Um, I am running two 36-volt lithiums, um, so that takes a battery position. So a basket, um, you can fit four in there kind of traditionally. I'm sure you can put some other batteries other places if you wanted to, but the traditional setup, you can fit four in the back compartment. So that that left one position open for me to run two AGMs in parallel. So I've got um, two AGM pro guides. Uh, they're like the, the, the biggest one, the group 31 um, in parallel. And then I've got the 36 volt trolling motor batteries in parallel. And then 
to your point earlier about redundancy, that gives me redundancy both on my trolling motor side and on my graph side. So that if, if one of those batteries does go bad, hopefully I notice it before too long because batteries in parallel will kind of affect each other. Um, so you do kind of have to keep tabs on that. But uh, right. if one does go out, then I still have the other one. And uh, it gives me amp hours enough to run everything in my boat all day long without having to worry about standby, which I find extremely irritating. So I'm, yeah, I, I can't deal with having to put things in standby because I always forget or just bothers me. So yeah, I, I like the the two battery setup. I got used to it when I was running the old Bass Cat <clears throat> life, you know, mm -hmm. standby, dimming screens, turning one off, like, doesn't bother me so much, but I don't really need to anymore. But I am thinking about working some redundancy into my battery system this year. So, um, yeah. go ahead. Oh, uh, on the batteries or on this question? You can go back to batteries first <laughs> if you had something. Um, so I am a little bit curious about the 16 volt battery. Uh, so the, my 36 volts are, um, powerhouse lithium, which is the brand that offers a 16 volt. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't exactly know that I buy into the theory there, but the one thing that I do think is kind of smart about a lithium battery is that, um, like even a regular lithium 12 volt battery is 14 volts fully charged up. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get down to 12 volt, that battery is like toast, you know, like you, you're going from 14 volts down to maybe low, low 13s or high 12s or something like that. So, so you, I guess point being is that you're always in that volt range that your graphs are looking for. So whether or not having higher voltage actually makes your screen any cleaner, I think, I I'm not sure. Jury's out on that one for me. I haven't seen yeah. it firsthand. I, but. I, might, I might be testing it out this year. We'll see. I'm kind of intrigued. like um, Because I also think, like, right, even though you have whatever, if you're fully charged, but you're with an AGM, you're only ever fully charged at the start of the day. Right, <laughs> like, right. Um, and then uh, you do have drawdown, right? Like Because even, like, my... I ran what 10 gauge home runs dedicated wires to my, you know, I kind of wired my own this, you know, for the Camus and you still have that little bit of stretch of like, you know, the, the small wire from your unit, but like, even when my chatters are fully charged, I'm not getting 14 when I turn my Garmin on in the morning. It's, you know what I mean? Like that you're, you're with that length and all that stuff you're losing. Right. So I don't know. I think there could be something to it. I guess time will tell, but, um, Yep. Um, yeah, I guess any tips for live scope and 360 and mounting and interference or anything you've run into or wise words? Yeah, so um, I've been playing around with this mount. It's called a Fish Obsessed. Uh, I'm not sponsored by them, but I've seen I've seen it on certain guys' boats that are really good with live scope. Uh, Scott Martin, Brian New few other guys uh travis moran was running one for a while i don't know if he still is but um fish obsessed mount gives you kind of infinite 
angle possibilities. So, so it's, um, it's, it's a mounting solution that you can put on your trolling motor shaft, and then you can kind of tilt it up or down or to the side as much as you want to. And it makes it super easy for switching from perspective mode back to regular. Um, so I, I am running their, yeah, I'm running their Dominator. And uh, that is what it looks like. And it, uh, it, it's nice because with the 360, um, you run into issues of not being able to raise your motor very high. I think you had a problem with that, if I remember right, Rich. <laughs> didn't well, you? Uh, didn't you bang your? That, you bang that, your... That, that was unrelated. That was oh, okay. poor, poor judgment of having it in the water in the Watchtower River. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what can happen is, um, like your your forward-facing sonar, when you lift the trolling motor up to to go in shallower water or whatever forward-facing sonar can hit your 360. Um, so what this thing allows you to do, you or one of the benefits, is that you can just you can just tip it down and then still angle it up to whatever you need, you know, angle-wise to get forward I see. and uh, get it out of the way. Or if you're not worried about going shallow or whatever, you can just have it go straight out. And then you, I think you get a little bit better reading when it's not tipped down by the motor. The, fur, the further you can get away from the trolling motor barrel itself, um, I think you get a little bit better reading. For years, I've had it just on the barrel of the trolling motor, just kind of on there with a hose clamp. Um, you know, they make a, a mount for that too. And, yep. and it works. Um, you're kind of just like stuck at whatever that one direction and angle is you don't have the ability to switch over to perspective mode um, when it's on that style amount and you're kind of at risk of banging it into a big rock and ruining the transducer which can be a 800 mistake or whatever but or maybe even more than that now i don't even know um but yeah uh it, it's uh I, I like it it's um I like tinkering with the angle. I think that's big for being able to see your bait is have it clicked up a little bit. I think mm -hmm. you can definitely click it up too far. Um, the stock position, I don't think I can, at least I can't see my bait hit the water very well. So this thing allows you to really tinker with that. And uh, that's what I like about it the best. Yeah, that's the first thing that you're talking about, like way about so I can just barely see my bait hit the water. And I was like, I think he's got his uh, angled up slightly. Like, yeah. And that's huge for live scoping. I think like, I don't know. It's, um, it's like seeing you, seeing your bait is a big deal. And to be able to find where your bait is, is like easiest when you can see this, see the splash hit the water. Right. If you're, if you're not seeing it right away and then maybe it kind of comes in the cone once once it gets down a little ways you may have gotten off of that angle or the, you know the wind blew you a little bit or you, or you moved your foot a little bit and it, and it wasn't right in the right direction anymore but pretty much if you aim at your angle and you can see it splash like that's going to be your best chance to stay with your bait the whole rest of the retrieve in yeah that makes sense 
Yeah, I noticed that a little bit. I was using it was like it was like you feel like you'd work it 10, 20 feet before you'd like get it. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and you can. I mean, you can even if you if you have it right, you can even watch a top water go across the water with it when it's Pretty when it's well. angled up a little bit. Yeah, and see fish like. Yeah, which can be really really fun. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of the same question, but like all these manufacturers talk about how important it is to get all this juice and have good connections. And then they have these 16 gauge wires out of their graphs. It's like, and we're spending God knows what on these units, right? How much would it cost them to have 12 gauge wiring <laughs> instead of that like tiny stuff they have running out, which is kind of, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't really either. The only thing I can think of is just the connector size. Like they're already pretty dang big to try and fit through the gunnels of a of a boat. So to try and minimize those, that would be my guess. But Typically yeah, they still have like right. They have like that like I don't know if it's a interference or a filter or whatever. Like almost all of them have like that freaking knob. That's that's the part that you can't get through. It's not the you know like yeah. Um, well, the screens are supposed to be able to like they have different different units have different limits, but they're they're most of them are run much hotter than twelve or fourteen volts. Uh, but I don't know, interesting. But they also say that like over that short a distance on a short cable that it's not supposed to matter. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, if if that question was in regards to the voltage, um, you there's certain units where the tolerable range is much higher than 16 volts. I think Humminbird, don't quote me on this. I think Humminbird, you can run it without a voltage regulator, but I know Lowrance, if you do get those 16 volt um, lithium batteries, you do need to run a voltage regulator. Uh, which will take it down from that 16 down to whatever the Lorance operating range is, which I think is less than 15. Um, so in your days, has uh, any of your co-anglers tried to uh, bring a portable live scope in your boat yet? <laughs> or have you I heard about it, it in the opens at all with people you know or i've heard about it i've not i don't know that it's happened in the opens it maybe has not to my knowledge i don't know anybody that it's happened in the opens but i have heard about that and uh no it it hasn't happened to me yet <laughs> i'm i mean with 200 boats for the last two years there's had to have been killing in the opens Absolutely. Maybe it's only been a handful, but it definitely has to have happened for sure. So how would you handle that conversation, Kent? Um, if, if your co-angler shows up with a portable live front-facing sonar unit? Man, it'd be tough. You know, like, I I want my co-anglers to have a good experience as, you know, as much as anybody. But at the same time, if their live scope is interfering with mine and you know if it's a problem with them to pull it out of the water and get their stuff in in uh 
in shape to travel to the next spot and that's like costing me time like that's not going to work for me you know like i don't know it's it, it would be a tough conversation that's for sure yeah i mean um, to that perspective it'd be the same conversation as somebody that's got six rods spider webbed crappie rigging all over the back deck and you're like hey i'm about ready to go and they're like okay it's like yeah like i mean that's that's like your 30 second warning to like be ready to go otherwise (laughs) um that and then i think i think you could use the same application within reason like you know there's a i guess there's no hard rule that they can't cast front of the gunnel right or the the council but like that's kind of a reasonable expectation that they're not crowding your water it'd be like all right well you shoot yours this way and I won't shoot mine back that way. And we'll, you know, like, and I guess if he's like pointing and quartering off the passenger side backwards and picking off fish, well, like you weren't going to catch those anyways. So, um, so I guess it all comes down to respect in the end. Right. So I think. And they would have to have their own battery too. Cause I, I've got my battery capacity figured out for the stuff that I have in my boat. So, oh, I think absolutely. I don't, that would be insane to be like, do you mind if I plug this into your cigarette lighter or like, can I open your compartment, throw some gator clips on your, and then no, no, that, yeah. I mean, I think most of them you can run off like a drill something, right? So it's pretty easy though. Yeah. 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 And if they're hanging it over the edge and it's not causing any problems, I mean, I guess more power to them if they, if they want to deal with having that thing with them all day. All right. So if you, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure you fished Hartwell and a few other places like that. What are your techniques for those Ozark or Highland and Peltman type reservoirs? Uh, I like the shaky head. Um, shaky head doesn't get much love up in Minnesota, but man, it is good basically everywhere else that we go. Maybe not so much Florida, but any of the uh, any of the reservoir type lakes, yeah, the shaky. You call it yeah. a jigworm here, Kent. <laughs> well, that's a little bit different. Um, I'm just kidding, but like that—that's why we don't throw a shaky head because we're all throwing jigworms for whatever reason. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the shaky head surprisingly goes through absolutely everything. Like I like it around wood, um, so rocky, rocky reservoirs. A lot of times, if you're fishing the bank, it'll you'll get some wood to fish too. And, uh, shaky head's great. Um, yeah. Hashtag shaky life for sure. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, it's so versatile. You can fish it in kind of any, any depth and you can fish it over any type of cover. You can target cast or just kind of drag it, um, through transition rock or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different things you can do with it, but, yeah, beyond that, uh, I like cranking a lot on that type of body of water. So whether it's deep cranks or medium running or if I'm right up on the bank with square bills. But, yeah, that's uh, – fishing laydowns is super fun. Mm-hmm. Cranking them and shaky heads and that throwing a little bit of jig. God, I've picked up the jig a lot more in the last year than I have ever before yeah i knew you'd be proud of that um so i've been loving the jig too um yeah actually the jig worm i actually was catching a few fish in practice on gunnersville in the grass on a jig worm back then 
18, that one right there, 19, whatever it was. Yeah, 19. Yeah, I can see I can see that. It's uh it's a good, I mean it's a really good technique. I, I feel like it's different than the shaky head enough because of that exposed hook that it gets hung up on the grass. And that's kind of the whole thing with it is to to try and get it hung on the grass and pop it out of there. It's almost that's like why a lipless at that point, right? It's like a yeah, getting the reaction. Yeah. Um so if I'm not mistaken, I feel like you fill out a lot of Omnia fishing reports as you're traveling around. True, false? I do. I do. I've been doing a lot with them. I've uh, been filling out a lot here in Florida. I try and remember to film out wherever I go across country and um, film out when I'm in Minnesota, um, kind of in the north central uh, Alexandria type area when I'm up there too. So. Yeah, Omni reports, they're fun. They're fun and I feel like it's super useful information for people too, because you can learn a lot about the lakes and what's going on currently at those bodies of water and kind of what's working. And uh yeah, I've been uh I've been really enjoying it. Do you ever use them for research? I do, yeah, a little bit. Um I I use them for just kind of getting some general ideas of uh, what baits are working. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good for water temp too. Like if you're trying to figure out what, what water temp is on a certain body of water, you can go through their maps page or lakes page and then click on the lake that you're interested in and basically get real time data or within pretty recent depending on the region like we're we're working on getting more reports across the country and they're coming in a lot but uh but you know it's uh omni is a minnesota company and so a lot of, a lot of the a lot of the information is minnesota based but we are getting better better and better nationwide but yeah so caught some bass on my birthday in in uh, iowa it looks like good job yeah, I love I love that late season smallmouth fishing in Iowa. I had to fact but, check make sure you'd gotten some recent reports up. So it looks like you've been <laughs> some. I have, yeah. And, and as of recently, I've been adding more video to it too. I I've I've recently got kind of interested in uh doing some video work. I am gonna record my um travels this year on the opens as well. And uh, so I'm, I've used, I'm using the reports as kind of getting some practice with editing and that type of thing. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's really enjoyable. Cool. So, but it makes for, I think it makes for some good, good reports and something quick and easy to watch real quick and see a couple fish catches, learn about the lake. And um, yeah, it's, it's good. Nice. Very cool. That's one thing I haven't done. I haven't played around with video. I tried one and it didn't like work. And then I just went back to photos on my fishing reports. But uh, that's cool. So it looks like if you want to go, you can go to Kent Middlestat's uh, Omni Ambassador page and you can follow him on Instagram, Facebook. You can check out his soon to be flourishing YouTube channel where he's going to be posting a lot more. Yeah, I, you know, I, YouTube has been tough for me, man. I, I have a hard time coming up with ideas of what to post. You know, there's 
there's already so many people doing so many great things on YouTube like you and I don't know some of the guys we talked about before it's like intimidating for me but uh I, I, watching some of the guys um record their travels on the opens was just kind of inspiring to me to just have fun with it and have something to document my travels and um you know if people want to see what it's like to fish the opens maybe i can show them something fun and uh have some fun with the video work myself so yeah i'm looking yeah. forward to it it's interesting because like you got so many things right you've got like on one end of the spectrum you got cooper gallant who's making like a made for tv like long form movie discovery channel like documentary for every open right like drones yeah. and multiple cameras and hours and hours of editing and then on the other end of the spectrum you got jim moyna sitting in a camper holding his cell phone and just raw just off the top of the head so you know i think there's like all that space in between and i think as long as you're willing to make it your own and and experiment i think there's there's a place for everything in between and an audience for it for sure good advice cool man almost two hours what uh is there anything else we needed to oh i should say that fantasy fishing is up beat Halabas group is up password is visor all capital letters for anybody that hasn't joined yet kent do you ever play fantasy fishing i do a little bit i uh i don't i don't join tons of groups i kind of play with some of the old guys from the club and sure. um try and try and make sure that i can at least beat them but i don't know if i can beat rich there's a lot of people that do i mean at least 10 percent of people <laughs> typically do but so I I win last year i mean just saying you know not a big deal but can i win anything you can. So in my group, I don't have the prizes exactly figured out this year, um, but I will be giving away prizes for each event during the lake and regular. Uh, I do have uh, some year-end prizes set up. We're going to get some Super Piquet gift cards in for that. Um, but if nothing else, I'll just buy a bunch of tactical minnows and you know, some, some cool stuff from Arsenal and give it away. So I'm in worst, worst case, worst case, that's what you're going to get. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get it up. You'll, you'll, well, actually, I, I actually recorded my like season intro today, so that'll come out. And then, uh, I got like two weeks to get my Okeechobee video done. It'll be there. It'll be there. And plus you can still win like the overall prize, right? All the Rapla, like the big prizes, but yeah, I, the Beat Hellabass group has you're playing in a much smaller pool. It is the largest private group on Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing, which will be a few hundred people, but you're not necessarily playing against thousands for prizes. So it's a little more intimate environment. And then if you join in the streams, you can trash talk the people on the streams and that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of fun. Keeps it keeps it in the community. Yeah, it's good times. I, I find myself uh picking a lot of the guys from the opens just because I I uh, know that what they're capable of, and um, man, a lot, a lot of those guys I'm so impressed by. And uh doesn't always work out great, but it is kind of nice to have a little bit of insider knowledge. <laughs> yeah, kind of gives you a rooting interest, right? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not like high stakes, right? It's 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 mostly for fun, and so you make you, you kind of put your own spin on it to get the the, the enjoyment out of it. Um, 
and then uh, yeah, I was gonna say next week gonna be back on Wednesday, a normal night. I'm having Epic Eric on, and we decided we are going to uh, we're all gonna come. We're, I'm gonna share some of my juiciest bait hacks, and Epic Eric is as well. So that might cool. be kind of a fun stream. That'll be a good one. Oh yeah, are we still gonna have the questions with Kent on Instagram? Oh, we need to bring that back. I yeah. think instead of posting those as stories, you should post those as reels and YouTube shorts. I like it. I'll I'll try that. I I I don't know. Yeah, the uh, the whole Instagram YouTube game is is. Uh, you, you go can multi-purpose that content instead of just posting it as a story and it disappears in twenty-four hours. You just record it independently, and you can upload it to TikTok. You can upload it to YouTube Short and Instagram, and it's just—it's all the same piece then. Yeah, we had fun with it. We'll bring it back. Yeah. Plus, then you're not the star of the show at that point. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm trying to think—is anything else going on? I'm trying to. I feel like we covered a lot of territory. Um. Excited. So we what uh remind us again, it, it starts a little later this year, right? Is it the first open in March? It is, yeah, March second. So uh, I I think I started heading up um to Ufala. So I'm down in Florida. Ufala is about six hours away from here north. And uh start heading up that way towards the end of February. So it is yeah, it's um it's maybe a little bit later, but about right. It it kind of fluctuated from a Florida event usually in towards the end of January and sometimes it'd be mid to late February. So we're maybe a little later than normal, but yeah, we're kicking it off here in uh, about three weeks. I'll start heading up that way. Nice. Yeah. Amy, let them know. People want to know how they get a suck less hoodie um, or instant message or DM, Instagram, get a hold of Amy. Uh, so are you officially retired from the Bass Nation, or do you feel like you're still going to come back and fish some state tournaments at some point? Um, I'm not going to be able to fish Bass Nation TOC this year, um, but I'm definitely not retired. I, I think it's still a great opportunity um, for people that want to try and make it to the Elite Series even. It's, it's still a really good path. You know, it's only – one person that qualifies, but in the opens, it's only nine people, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough no matter which path you choose. Um, but the Bass Nation route is still something that I want to keep open. It's just unfortunately not going to work out timing wise with the nine opens and time off and all that is is not going to happen to do the TOC this year, but I won't rule it out in the future. Nice. Yeah. Have you heard they're kind of revamping it? I have not. Okay. Well, we'll save that for... So I'm going to go... Assuming my wisdom teeth removal tomorrow goes smoothly, I'm going to try to go to the state meeting on Saturday um, and uh, get the download. In Minnesota? What's that? Revamping in Minnesota or in Uh, general? Nationally. I heard... uh... I heard a little bit of something, but I haven't heard much, so I'm looking looking forward to hear what you have to say. Yeah, so I'll... uh try to get the official report down low. I've kind of, I think I know what's going on, but I don't want to like speculate and spread rumors until I really see it written or from somebody that actually knows. So 
So if I'm not there, Dan, that means my face is like all puffed up and I, and I didn't make it. So I'm only getting five teeth removed tomorrow, so I'm sure I'll be fine for Saturday. That should be good. Yeah, not a big deal. Hey, you get to be on the ice cream diet though, right? I did stop. Like that's actually why I was late texting you the stream or the link is because I stopped at the, after dropping my daughter off at soccer, was getting ice cream in preparation for this weekend. <laughs> I went I with a it. gallon of uh, mint chocolate chip. What do you think of that decision? Eh, I mean, not a mint ice chocolate chip guy. It's I wouldn't I would put it in my top five, but I wouldn't turn it down either. All right. So what's uh, let's I mean, let's get to the important stuff. What is Kent's top three ice cream flavors? Uh well, cookie dough is up there, and I don't know if you know, well, know if cookie dough is a great wisdom teeth choice right because you got big chunks in it but yeah that probably wouldn't work out too well um and i don't know if you can count blizzard flavors but uh i am gonna throw <laughs> i am gonna throw in reese's peanut butter cup because there's something about peanut butter and ice cream that just go so well together i mean there's a plenty of uh knockoff versions that are basically peanut like you know moose track peanut butter chunky i mean there's, there's plenty of that in the grocery store for sure it's good i like it and then I'm going to throw in, um, is it Briars uh, Vanilla Bean? Byers? 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 Yeah, or, or Hagen does Vanilla Bean. Yeah, those are those Like a high-end vanilla. I got it. Yeah, high-end vanilla option is key. Yeah. I probably should have went straight vanilla, but I did get some sorbet. I went with some pineapple sorbet because supposedly pineapple has like a, a – uh, an additive in it that helps with inflammation and stuff like that. So I like it. It's healthy. There you go. Yeah. Now we could do a whole other hour on ice cream flavors, probably. <laughs> uh, are you Are you going to the classic? I am not. Will not be at the classic. No, I um don't don't have any uh, reason to go. I I. I think it sounds kind of fun to go to the expo, but um, no, I, I, I'll be fishing. Nice. I'm contemplating attending my first classic expo this year. I I don't think I'm going to go to the weigh-in because I'm thinking I'm going to drive through it the first time I go through the weigh-in. Um, there you go. Uh, but I'm kind of thinking going down there, there's enough people that through the community we could meet up and, and say hi to people and maybe do some networking. So I'm, I'm seriously contemplating making the drive or the – the flight down to Knoxville this year. Yeah, I was uh, I was just looking at the map. I'm going to be right in that area later this year for an open, so I could maybe go there and pre-practice. But I've never I've never really pre-practiced. Well, I guess I have a few times um, for an open, but it's not not my normal deal. Yeah, we got Watts Bar, which is basically right there. It'll be a gar hole by the time your open field gets done fishing it. <laughs> Isn't that in September already? Like Tennessee River, September? That's going to be brutal. Yeah. Well, it's got smallmouth in it, so hopefully hopefully uh, they're willing to bite. Jackhammer or a pint of ice cream? It's a tough choice. <laughs>
Did we lose Rich? Yeah, I pressed the wrong button. I went to stop the screen presenting and I hit the leave studio. But no, we were I was like, geez, geez, we just like left. Man, oh, like where you just like mid set and stock. <laughs> um, but uh, well, appreciate having you on, Kent. Uh, look forward to uh, watching you and all your uh, 174 best friends tackling the EQs this year. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. This was fun. Good to catch yeah. up. It's getting getting kind of late now. I mean, this is uh, 11 o'clock for you. You got to get to bed so you can get up and get your hours in so you can go out fishing tomorrow night. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Cool deal. Um, well, thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys, I think I, I think the best way to follow Kent is to go to his Omni Ambassador page and then just click on the links to the rest of his social. I think that would be the best way to follow him. Good I'll, suggestion. I'll put a link to his uh, ambassador page in the description for you guys. And that'll be the easiest way. Um, and uh, if you came in late, I think there was a lot of good value. Replay, Facebook, uh, YouTube, however you came in. Or you can down, just search Hellabass in your favorite podcast app and listen to it when you're driving to the lake, walking the dog, on your fit, Tuesday night fishing adventures like Kent. I'm sure like that's when you listen to all the Hellabass podcasts, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At the gym. <laughs> fishing adventures driving down the road i'd get plenty of podcast time in so nice all right well, enjoy well, the content well thanks everybody as always here to help you guys catch more big bass and suck less thanks another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.